she was able to kind of try her best, you know, to explain to me that she's a foster mom. She came here like many years ago as a refugee. So that's how I got into um, the care the care system. And to be honest, like it actually helped me to become the man I am today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to In Pursuit Passion Podcast, produced by Empart Media and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett, where I interview individuals pursuing their passions to the fullest. In this episode, I was joined by Ahmed Mohammed to be about why he is the light to everyone's candle. We covered how he was feeling when arriving in the UK, becoming the hero of your world, and creating a mentality to overcome obstacles. So sit back, relax, and let's pursue this passion. Welcome, Ahmed Mohammed, to In Pursuit of Passion. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm amazing. No, really, thank you so much for coming on to In Pursuit of Passion about, you know, what you do and your story as well. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I think those who are listening will really take a lot of what you're going to be saying in this conversation. And where I want to start this conversation is, you know, I know you arrived in the United Kingdom at the age of 14. I kind of want to know, how were you feeling on the day you arrived in the United Kingdom? I came, I came to the country in 2010. and I didn't even know that I was coming to the United Kingdom. That's the first thing. Yeah, I didn't know I was coming here. I, um, so I'm from Northern Nigeria, um, Bruno State originally. Um, I'm not sure if you've been aware of, um, there's a period of time where some um, girls were kidnapped and it was all over social media. Um, so that's the state that I came from. And I end up in the United Kingdom due to the, um, the chaos, you know, the, the Boko Haram, because there was this um, rebel saying um, Western education is wrong. And that's how I got separated from my parents. You know, that's when the first fight um, broke out. And you know, there's this culture um, where I came from, where you don't really question adults. And yeah. this, you know, this man found me saying he knows my parents, just followed him. And he was the person that was with throughout. Like, I didn't know where my parents are. And... I don't know how they did it, how they arranged it. One day they like pick your bag, um, we're going somewhere. And the next thing was found myself um, in the United Kingdom. And um, we came to the airport and I couldn't even say to him, where are we going or what's going on? And at the airport, he was like, as soon as we came out, I was cold. And this was in September, but I was really cold. And he said, um, I'm coming, which is just like, wait for me. I'm coming in my language. He never came back. I've never seen, like, I haven't seen him. Um, I don't know what happened. Um, I think I stood from morning till evening, just waiting, waiting, waiting. And I didn't know what to do. Um, I couldn't speak English well. I don't know who to go to. And I started saying to myself, did something happen to him? Like, it was just like I'm in an alien world where there's so many people just going around, but I couldn't approach them. Eventually, I was like, okay, what should I do, like, right now? And I just started walking around um, different places. I was on the street for, like, two weeks, just moving from one place to another, um, mm-hmm. sleeping on the street, just trying to eat, you know. Um, it was really hard. Um 
to to be in that position at that age where you couldn't speak to no one um but i just had to survive um on the street then someone i think realized he said he's been seeing me a lot around and he, this person approached me um started asking me questions uh, and it was so difficult to um have that communication because for me like the way he speaks is just too fast for me to understand um the whole accent um but i've managed to be like i don't know where i'm going um i don't know where to go i had no one then they took me to the um, police station and from there they brought an interpreter that speaks my language to help and that's how my journey in care actually um you know begin just listen to that story i mean you must have been as you said scared not knowing what to do yeah like it must have really shaped you in such a way like quite negative ways it must have done like that whole experience yeah you know um every time like sometimes even when i reflect back i always try to look at if I see, especially when I see a 14 years old, I try to picture what could be going on in your mind now, even mm-hmm. if you're having the best of life now or things are not going so well, like what are your skills? Like what do you have to be in that position and try to survive? It's like, is there some hidden superpowers that you have or some hidden resilience that you just mm-hmm. go through and be like, you know what? I just have to survive in this, you know, it's a survival mode. Um, there's nothing else. If not, I would just struggle um, out there. You spoke about care, actually. Um, what impact did that have on you? Did it have a positive or negative impact on you? You see, um, so when I looked at myself compared to most of my friends that have been through the care system, I felt like um, I had a privilege. I'm in a privileged position mm. because um, the reason why I say that was... Um, Majority of um, my friends that I know that have been through the same kind of system um, that went through foster care, um, they, they, not many, I don't think there's any that I know that had only just one foster care until the age of 18, just one social worker, just one school. However, um, in my um, situation, I only had um, one foster, one foster parent, you know, till the age of 18. I never had to change school. Um, I never had to change a social worker. So in a way, um, I would say I had stability in terms of my time in care. But however, that didn't just happen from day one. Because bear in mind, um, I knew nothing about the system. I knew nothing about care system. Like growing up in Nigeria, I don't know what social service, you know, I don't know what's the care system. So now I'm being put into, I don't even know I'm going into care. This is how bad it is. Because from the police station, I slept in the police station till the next day. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Then another police um, came in the car. Um, I think a man, two male and one female came. They're like, we're going somewhere. And I got into the car. Bear in mind, I still, I can't ask them any question. Um, I think the first time sleeping in the police station was the first time I felt like I could sleep and have that hope that I will wake up and still find myself because I've been sleeping on the street. I'm thinking I might sleep here. Something might happen to me, but the police station was a place where I slept. I had a, a bit of good sleep. 
I would say for the past two weeks and wake up and be like, I knew I would still be here because I feel like this is police, you know? And this woman just popped out from nowhere. Um, I still remember that was the first time I heard the word social worker. She was like, hi, I'm your social worker. And my foster mom opened the door and the police were there. And we got in and they're like, oh, this will be your house now. This is where you will be staying. And it, it, I just couldn't like, yeah, because I don't know what's going on. No one like explained to me that this is a step. This is what's going to yeah. happen. So I didn't know all of that. And so the social worker then, so the police officers left and the social worker, uh, oh bless her, her name is um, Amakusi Apua, and she explained that, oh, I'm a social worker, this is what I do, this is what you're supposed to So she kind of, it still didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. So she was like, I'll be back in two days. Um, I was like, okay. So she left. Then my foster mom um, said to me, this is your room. I have over two foster kids here. I have my own children. They're adults. My foster mom somehow realized I had no clue on what's going on. She was like, Ahmed, um, can you come to the living room? I was like, okay. So we went down to the living room and somehow we were able to kind of, she, she was able to kind of try her best, you know, to explain to me that she's a foster mom. She came here like many years ago as a refugee, um, but this is what she does now. She have, so then she was like the lady that came, this is her role. So that's how I got into um, the care the care system. And to be honest, like it actually helped me to become the man I am today. Like my foster mom, my social wow. worker. Yeah. And my foster, my foster mom was really um, supportive in terms of um, my um, education. I started school in year 10. And my social workers as well. So no one was really um, expecting me to do any better at my um, GCSE. And I was only predicted um, five GCSEs. And, um, you know, that's only if I work hard. Because, I don't know, they think I won't be able to pass my exams. But however, like, at the end of like year, year 11, I had 10 GCSEs like A to C. And they couldn't do it. Like, how did you do it? You know, you only had a year and a bit just from year 10 to year, year 11. And so the school interviewed me. Then I became like a mentor in school where I talked to like other young, um, young people as well. But before I got to that stage, it was really difficult. And I, when I was in school, people don't really know I was a young person in care because there's this um, stigma about children in care. I started to understand that um, if you say you're a young person in care, people will automatically expect you to not do well. And it's like yeah. society projected like, children in care or care leavers to, you know, to not have a better life. And when you look at, when, when I looked around me, even those that have been through the care system, it wasn't like they're any better off from what I could see. And I guess that was the moment where I kind of um, say to myself, you know, I can't end up like this. Like I've had a challenge in life to get, even get to where I am. And I can't, I just can't afford to fail. You know, where in, in my place, I can't fail. And I kept on saying, yeah. Why is that actually? Why, why did you say like you cannot afford to fail? Because for me, like, um, I've, I came from a state where with this whole, I don't know if to call it war, but this whole chaos happened, got separated. Mm-hmm. And not knowing that you're coming to the UK, then you had to spend about two weeks like on the street. Then you came into foster care. And it's like, if I fail, 
then then what? Like where would I where would my life lead to? Because I still have to like try find my parents, um, my siblings, like all of that is going in my in my mind. So something keeps saying to me, like, you just can't fail. You know, you just can't but it wasn't easy to my life, regardless of how much I tell myself. It wasn't like, oh, I wake up today, it's a happy day, I wake up tomorrow. No. There are days where it was like, oh my God, like really? Even to get into the system properly, because everyone will look at you like, who is this kid? You know, um, they don't know you. No one actually knew if you're a good, if you're a good kid or if you're a bad kid. It took months to build trust between myself and my foster father, and my foster mom, because she had her own experiences with other kids as well. And I'm a different, different, different kid. But my foster mom was really good, and my foster brothers, you know, I'm a social worker. They really um, helped me to, to kind of like say to me, you know what, if you go this way, things might work out for you. And if you go that, that route, things might not work out for you. Then, so they gave me those options and it's just down to me to decide what I want to do. From what you just said, it was just like, you know, that, the whole experience, like the whole coming to, coming to the United Kingdom, having that time yeah. of foster care, having kids taking the mickey out of your accent. Yeah. Teachers saying to you, you're not you're not expected to like get the grades because you're from another country or going through foster. I mean, that's all of that. Yeah, must really, it's what sort of must have motivated you to yeah. actually achieve what you want to achieve, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that the way to put it? Yeah, I think that's you know that's that's the way to um, to kind of um, put it because I think I feel like somehow I come across um, people that understands who is a refugee, who is a, you know, a, a foster carer, and they would try to advise me, even from my teachers as well. I realized there are some of them, and I look back now, that understand what the system is about, and yeah. they try to give me the best of advice, but the ones that have no clue, they just see you as a failure. You know, like, you can't, you, you cannot succeed. Like, you, you're, you're from a disruptive, you have a disruptive life, probably, um, I realized even up to date, some people don't even know about refugees, like, you know, if you say you've been through the, you you came from a care system, they think you have a parent here or something happened with your parent, you could, or yeah. you couldn't leave it and they put you through care. Not knowing that there are kids that come from a war's, you know, zone country and they just have to end up there. And so now I start to realize there is a lot of people that, that, have, that doesn't have those um, awareness. And I went through all these um, challenges and some days it's like, I don't want to go out at all. Some days I don't want to talk to no one. I don't want someone to question me, like, where are you from? Um, or why do you sound like that? Oh, you've got an accent. I didn't want that. So I always try to keep myself away. But then sports actually helped me, in, uh, you know, when I was in school as well. I was playing sports for my school. And I think that kind of like draws like a lot of friends. I, I was doing football. I was doing athletics. Um, I helped my school to kind of like win a trophy. Um, I got um, scouted to start running for, um, for Haringey. So all of those things um, kind of like brings friends around me. So when I was in school, um, I got scouted to play for um, a football club, um, Dagmar Redbridge. And they said, just make sure you pass your maths and English. Mm-hmm. And um, then you just come, go college once a week. Then you'll be playing football with, with your teammates. And I was quite excited about it. So year 11 finish, majority of my friends, I like, went to either Monarchs or Leighton Six from or Haringey Six from just colleges around Haringey or a bit out of Haringey, but I had to travel to Dagenham because I was playing for Dagenham Redbridge. And this time around, I just I resubmitted, reapplied 
to extend my leave to remain because I was getting to the age of 18. And at that age, when you're 18, you have to move from a foster mom house. You have to now become semi-independent, you know, um, shared accommodation. So my first one was like, you'll be fine. You know, um, we're here. You're not living, you know, you're not far from us. And I thought I will make an application maximum eight weeks, six weeks. I should get my leave to remain to just carry on, get on with my life. Yeah. Took four years, four years of my life, four years. I couldn't study. I had to drop out of my scholarship. Um, I went to Arsenal Football Club. Um, they couldn't sign me because I had no passport. It get to a stage where I was like, okay, if I can't play football, um, let me just go and get a normal job in Tesco. I remember I went to, um, it was um, Argos. I did the interview. It all went well. They're like, okay, your start date is Monday. I can't remember the date. Um, I went in to start work. They're like, oh, where's your passport? We need to register with the HR so you can get paid. I'm like, I don't have a passport. I'm just waiting a lot we're sorry you can't you can't walk we can't take you on i was like what they're like yeah and they start to get serious when when i was 18 i left my foster mom house it wasn't as serious as as i thought mm. the moment i left I was, i'm waiting waiting so my football club had to say to me look we can't keep you here so every end of the month everyone get paid apart from me because i don't have a passport and every end of the month you know, at that age, you're like 17, 18, my friends would just go um, to Stratford, buy their trainers, you know, whatever they, and I would just go home. When we meet again, they would talk about what they did in the weekend. But then I would just be like, on my own, like, I lost motivation. I couldn't, yeah. I just couldn't cope. I couldn't just be a normal kid. That's what I wanted to ask you, actually. Yeah. Like, how much of a toll did that have on you? Like, it must have created this whole, like, dark side in you. Like, the whole, like, not being able to, like, have a job because of your legal yeah. status. Like, not being paid. Like, that must yeah. have had such a negative impact on you, surely. Yeah, because it, it, it put me in a, in, you know, in, 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 in a place where I've never thought I could be. Even yeah. now, I'm still healing from it. Mm. You know, um, every time I think about it, I was like, wow, like how did that even um, happen? Yeah. So, like I said, like when I moved home, I thought it was it's six weeks, you know, they should get back to me. Four years, I couldn't, I had to drop out of everything that I was doing because I had no passport. Everywhere I go, like, oh, where's your passport? Where's your passport? And this time around, I had to survive on, I think it's about £34 plus a week from local authority. And they expect you to eat, travel, buy clothes, do whatever you want to do. Every week you get £34. And I didn't know, like, I don't think anyone could even survive on £50 no. a week. This day. A kid could no, say, you know, but, no, but that's the amount that we get at that, you know, um, those years, um, those years back. And wow, it was hard. It was hell depression, anxiety, suicidal thought, like all of that. There was a period of my life when I would just go to Seven Sisters train station. I would just tell myself, like, just jump. Like, what's the point that you've been waiting for over a year, two years? You, could, you couldn't leave. But something would keep pulling me back. I think one of the, well, I would say my faith is one of the things that kept me going when I was yeah. going through that um, challenge. It's like I didn't um, stop praying. And at the same time, my faith is another reason why I didn't get the help that I needed at that stage. And thirdly, because I don't even understand I'm going through mental health. 
because it's not something that's been discussed in my culture or my religion when something is when you're going through um you know um different life challenges just pray just pray if it's not something medical or you're critically critically ill um just pray and i remember i was referred to you know counseling uh, therapy i just had one session i was like this i can't do this i can't talk about what's going i don't even understand this is depression you know but i know there's been many times i will go to the train station i'll just stand on the platform like do it do it do it jump 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 then something will just be like just pull me back then i'll just walk every time i go train like train station i still get flashback what actually helped me was my foster mom and my social workers they try their best to like introduce me to like different activities to keep me away from home and i think i was fortunate there's this guy called richard from tottenham hospital foundation so they're doing like a mentoring program they're doing this um program for children in care and care so i managed to like get a mentor from them so they do a lot of football activities um just mentoring in general and this um relationship came when i was in school i had to do my work experience with um tottenham hospital so I was doing admin, coaching, and I did so well. And they say to me, oh, during summer holiday, if you needed to do something, just come, just come and volunteer. And I did exactly the same to not knowing that this might help me like in the future. So I, I went there, I was volunteering. I was doing coaching during some um, school holiday before I started my scholarship. So when I started my scholarship, I left. But then when things wasn't going so well, there's this project called um, the 18 Project, um, Jermaine Defoe when he was at Tottenham. So he was the ambassador of that project and it's all around mentoring, personal development. I did that project as well. Just to like, I did so many things just to keep me away from home. Um, I got to a stage where I started thinking of the most negative things just to survive. How can I make money to survive? This money is not enough for me. Um, You know, um, I can't even buy clothes. I can't buy food. I can't do proper grocery. And I was just like, what can I do? Then I started doing job to like cash in hand. Yeah. So I started doing like cash in hand. And when you do cash in hand, when people know the reason why you're doing cash in hand, it end up becoming like a slavery. Like if they know they're meant to pay you 10 pound or eight pound, they end up giving you like four pound or five. What can you do? There's nothing you could say, you know, because then you have to um, survive and just start thinking then, Australians, I have friends that we went to school together. They're now, you know, doing drugs or, you know, just on the road trying to survive. I'm like, let me go and do this. Like, mm. I, need to, I need to survive. So all of that, for, but at the same time, uh, all I hear is just my mentors, you know, voices in my head. Like, whatever you do, if you get caught, it might jeopardize your chances of staying here. You know, you can't just live a normal life as a kid. All what you're thinking about, if I do this, that might happen. If I do that, that if I didn't do this, this, this could happen. So you can't think straight, you know. Um, Question I have from this is like, so I found this quote on your website, You Versus You, that you yeah. founded and stuff, which was something mm-hmm. on the lines of, every individual has a story and it's even makes you a hero in your world or a dream of yeah. a miserable life. Mm-hmm. I really want to understand, like, how did you get from, like, what steps did you take in order to become the hero in your world rather than a dreamer living a miserable life? I think that's it. Um, I think what it is um, from how I managed to move from that stage was um, there was this guy called um, Kevin. So Kevin Fairview 
he used to work for Haringey local authority. He was one of um, one of the head in trim something his his role. And one day we had this um, project activity that we did with local authority, and he managed to be there. And he goes to one of the um, um, outreach workers and said, "This kid actually has some great ideas, and I'm trying to develop this project." Um, and it a kid, a young person's like kind of like idea and he spoke to me and we said to him like he's just here and they kind of briefed him on my on my journey a bit so he was the person that one of the people that makes me realize I've, I have something within me you know like um, there is some I can contribute to something you know I can I can help make a difference and even when I was in when I was in care as well I was part of this team called um, um, Inspire. And um, all we do is just we advocate for other children in care to, you know, to senior local authorities. So we, we were doing that. And I started to understand a little bit about the system. So at that stage, when all he wanted to do was to create a project where um, young people called um, Asset for Success, where we can kind of like, instead of... Um, um, looking at what in terms of like grades, let's look at people's personality. What can they bring to a team? Like confidence, you know, um, collaboration, um, like soft skills, call it soft skills. So we started looking at these things and just using the work that I do in community, just volunteering, what, how do I see this happening? And we started building those projects. So he's one of the person that made, then we started going into schools to even like deliver those projects, even though I can't work to get paid, but he will like buy me laptops, um, I think he gets funding and he will buy me, like, he was, he, and he will say to me like, I can't employ you. You don't have a passport. I can't even pay you. It's illegal, but I will support you, you know, as much as I could. Those are the things that kind of take my mind away. And I realized, let me, then it get to a stage where I was like, so my social worker said to me, whatever is meant to be would always be focus on the things that you can control. It's in your control. What I meant by that, by that quote is, you know, your, your, your journey through life can help you to become who you are or you end up living someone else's dream was despite all this support, you know, the mentor, the social work, the words, it's down to me to lift myself up to be like, okay, I want to make a difference for me, not for anyone else. You know, there's that saying about you can take a horse to a river, you can't force it to drink from it. Even though my mentor will come to my house, knock on my door to be like, you have to come out. He can't drag me off my bed. He wouldn't step in my room to drag me out. I have to get up and go and do it. You know, I get questioned like, wow, like you're so resilient. You're so like you went, I'm like, no, there was a period of my time that I gave up. I was like, I don't want to do anything else because I'm a human being. However, and this is where I kind of like break down resilience into like two stages, like there's internal resilience and there's external resilience. You know, as human beings, we have like kids, we're all resilient anyways. And life adversity can make us even more resilient in different, in different way of, you know, shape of life. But then if the people around you are not supportive enough, eventually you would break because you're human. You're not a machine. No matter how super you are, you know, you, you, you we need people. We need the right people around us. You know, and this is why I said I was blessed to have a very good social worker that, that was really there for me, not because he's just a social worker, because I've seen it around me where kids complain about their social workers 
And I looked at what is the social workers doing? And I, and, and I was able to get into the system of, you know, social, understand it better because I started working with, you know, children in care and care, and care leavers. So, and the end of the day is like, those are the things that kind of helped me, the people around me. And I looked at the stability as well. Like I didn't change school. I didn't change foster carer. I didn't change social worker. It's really made an impact, you know, and the positive words that I get from like people around me, you know, it plays like a vital role in my, in my, in my, in my own, in my own life. Like people made me realize um, I'm valued. Yeah, completely. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, from this conversation, I already sort of, um, you know, oftentimes I always talk about the, the, the need for having that support network, the key of having a support network. I always talk about it a lot on my podcast or on, the, on here quite a lot. Or when I go into other people's podcasts, I always talk about my journey and how much my support network has helped me to realize my own potential. But this conversation here has just completely solidified that point, you know, because I think those who are around us can really influence who we are to become, right? I kind of want to also go into this sort of, you know, your sort of um, driving force behind um, the community, right? What exactly do you wish to give back? Because I know that's a driving force where you wish to give back to the community, but what exactly do you wish to give back? What I actually wanted to give back for me is to be able to, to create that, that environment where, um, you know, everyone can, you know, can feel hopeful, um, more focused and, you know, define what success actually means to them, not what society projected to be, what success is. And, and, and I'm, I say this because when, when I look at my journey today, I always say, what actually helped me? I always try at my best to look at the positive, positive things. You know, I live in Tottenham. Right, I'm a young black kid. I'm um, I'm a care leaver. I'm a refugee. I match the stereotype, the stigma, like especially the environment that I live in. Tottenham is the, it's not the greatest environment to live in. In Haringey, as we all know, there's gangs. There's you know so many things. I could have been one of those kids that was just out there, you know, as much as Tottenham is. However, um, there are there are individuals that really helped that I didn't step into that environment. It wasn't like I'm, I'm, I'm better than the boys that are living those kind of life. It wasn't, it wasn't none of that. It wasn't because I'm more clever or more experienced than them. It was none of that. It's just the people around me, they created an environment that I felt valued. I felt, you know, I have that sense of belonging despite all the things happening in the environment, but in my environment, I feel like, you know, I'm part of this society, I'm part of this community, I can survive in this community, you know, I can become successful um, in this community. And that's, that's the kind of, um, you know, um, giving back that I want. And this is the reason why every single project that I do um, has become a success. And every kid that I work with, they understood what we're trying to do because I don't want to hold your hand all the time. But I want you to understand that there's something within you. You can, you know, you can define your own success and be happy according to how you want to be. You know, you want to be happy. And one of the things that makes me so happy today is um, waking up in the morning, you know, knowing that there's someone out there that have impacted their life. They're, they're happy with what they're doing, either through job, education. It's the reason why I still go to bed happy, you know, and, and, and wake up. It's not just about, it's not about me. You know, there's this quote that, you know, it's like, um, there's this saying about, um, be a candle that gives light to others. You know, like when you think about a candle, it's like you're born in yourself, but you're yeah. giving light to others. And, and when you look at a candle, 
even when the light goes off, when people, when people need that light, someone will end up putting, you know, using a lighter or something to bring that light back on. So the people around me, even when I'm down, they still encourage me to, to keep, to keep going. We are our biggest critics of ourselves, right? Our biggest critics. And I think oftentimes we just need someone to say, no, you have got this, you know, come on, like push yourself on. Of course, not to hold your hand as, as you said, because I think there's times where, you know, it goes back to the whole mentoring conversation, right? Like mentoring where sometimes the person who, like the mentee wants to get everything from the mentor. However, the mentee has got to be in the driving seat for their, their own future. They've got to, they've got to, you know, all of us, you know, all of us are in that, our own driving seats, right? So it's really drive us forward. And I think it's good to say, to say that the way you said in terms of like trying to balance between yes, encouragement, but also not holding your hand. How does one develop their mentality to conquer obstacles that will inevitably come in their way? I think um, one, of the, one of the ways to um, create that mentality is um, at first you have to um, be able to accept your, your current circumstances that you're in. Yeah. However bad it might look or how dark it is, you have to accept that first to be like, you know what, okay, this is happening to me now. This is my life, not someone else's life. So it's, so in the moment you, you accepted that and what that actually does is to help you to, if you want to cry, cry, but then what it actually does is to open your mind to what can I do different? So once you kind of figure that out in terms of what you could do differently, then you start to choose to go to who you need to, who you need to go to for help. Because sometimes as, as a young person or as an individual, we don't really understand what, who to go to for help. We think that person might be the person to help us everything, but maybe no, you have to go to that person and that person might introduce you to that person. So the way I develop um, that, that mentality was first accepting like, okay, this is my current situation. It's been going on for years, but maybe I need to stop playing the blame game and just focus on my own self on what can I do to help me make a difference. If I eventually get my resident permit to stay here, fine. If I got deported, I know I've built myself to a certain stage where I can keep going. I wouldn't just um, break. So I started saying these words um, to myself because I have to believe in myself first before anyone you know, else has um, believed in me. And yeah. I, I was like, then I started to tell myself, what can I do educationally to help myself? If I can't go to university, what training can I do that I cannot pay for to go and what activity can I do? to mentally, you know, keeps me, keeps me going and feel valued, um, within, within myself. So these are the things that I was doing to create, um, those, those mental, those mentality about you can't give up, you know, you have to, you have to keep, you have to keep going, you know, you're, you're good enough. And when you look at my website about the things that I wrote about you versus you, you know, um, about positive encouragement, positive words. So I try myself to be in an environment where people will say something good about me. Um, that'll, that'll make me feel good. And, and keep going, you know, all the places that I've volunteered is their organizations that support communities, their grassroots organization. They're not some big, um, you know, um, organization. Everything that I do is to be around other people as well with either similar experiences or similar journey and just to have that sense of um, belonging. And the moment um, I started to do that and I begin to get like more recognized in my community, then I begin to like have more opportunities 
and it gets to a stage where you know I was this close to like get deported. Like I could have been deported back to Nigeria. I'm telling you, I was that close in terms of like the the mental. So this is how I kind of like built my my mentality to be like. And I kept on saying to myself, you know what, you've you've been through all of this and you've survived. And now that you have a first time or you've 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 got your education, like you know you've been in college, you've you have survived this long. I don't think anything can break me anymore. You just have to keep going. You've got the support network. So yeah. it's like looking at the positive, you know, that would, no matter how, no matter how bad your life situation could be, they could, there are still some positivity only if we were able to sit down and accept that this is my life now, not anyone else. Like, I know it's hard at that age, like 17, 18, but then that's, the, that's it's a very critical age to make like the wrong decision, especially with your peers. It's so hard, but if you can take that moment to yourself and just accept what's actually what you're actually going through, because sometimes we don't do that. We don't sit down to be like, oh, this is all on me. This is, you know, this is all I'm going through. What can I do differently for my own self to help me? So those are the things that actually um, help me like build that strong um, mentality to just keep going in any situation. Um, just find, find a positive way. You know, I, I've just like built my mind to see the positive in any situation that I'm in. I kind of kind of relate to what you're saying because oftentimes when I have a very frustrating situation, I often say to myself, right, you're allowed five to 10 minutes to get very angry at the situation. But mm-hmm. after that 10 minutes, you leave the situation, take a deep breath yeah. and go on with your day. Because oftentimes yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge how you are feeling, but yeah. to acknowledge that like, you can't get angry or get upset or get frustrated for too long. You kind yeah. of like life moves on. Let's be let's be blunt here. Life moves on. You've got yeah. to address the situation that you are in, and I think having that positive words and developing that mentality, if you, as you've been saying, is is so yeah. important. From this conversation, I mean, it's it's just incredible how, yeah. I mean, you know, as as we said before, like you know, you probably get these words all the time, like how resilient you are, like how you know mm. how much your story is is, is 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 just crazy. But I think it showcases like to everyone that you know despite our dark days, we, there's always mm. light down the tunnel. And I think, yeah. you know, and I think you're just a perfect example of that. And to leave off this conversation, um, we normally ask this question, you know, understanding like what passion means to you. I mean, we haven't touched on passion as much on this conversation, but <laughs> yeah. because it's been super interesting, like listening to like your story and like how you got into what you're doing now. But yeah, what does passion mean to you? I think um, for me, passion is, being able to to do something without you feeling stressed that you're working, just being happy doing it without anyone having to remind you that, hey, you need to do that. Hey, you need to get up at that time to go and do X, Y, Z. Like, it's like it, be- it becomes natural to you to just get up and do things. And it just makes you feel happy to an extent where whatever is happening in your world, if you was to put yourself in that zone of what you love doing, it's all gone. Like, like you just for, you just forget about it. I think that's yeah. what that's what passion is like means to me. Gosh, absolutely, man. Honestly, yeah. I could speak to you all day, man. Honestly, <laughs> generally, I could. And you know, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you and speaking to your journey oh, and thanks. listening in and just you know, I really it's made me really realize, like, God, like, you know. It's, it, I mean, I, I'm going to take away so much from this conversation, just like listening to you and listening to your story and feeling motivated. And I just hope everyone listening out here 
is it going to be motivated by what you've been saying? And, you know, it showcases that, you know, the power of the community, the power of encouragement, the power mm-hmm. of supporting each other shows so much impact. So yeah. Ahmed, I just want to say massive thank you for coming on to Impulsive Passion and sharing your story and sharing your passion with us. So thank you. No, thanks. No, thank you very much um, for having me, you know. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of Impersue Passion, produced by Empart Media and hosted by myself, Hamish Hallett. What a great story from Ahmed Mohammed, all about how he overcame adversity and become the hero of his own story. You can find out all of his links down below in the episode bio. And until the next episode of Impersue Passion, keep pursuing that passion and see you in the next one.